0: As much as we do desire God to do things for us, it is important that we know how to respond to God's blessing, but we also need to know how in responding to God's blessing, it also changes the way that we view God. It changes our theology of God. It gives us a truer view of God. And so we see that, you know, in response to the things that God does, it absolutely reveals the condition of our hearts. And as I mentioned um, that it reveals last week, I went to the book of Luke in order to see how when the 10 lepers had been healed, how only one of them actually returned back to Jesus. The rest of them went back to society. They went back to their normal lives, but one of them actually turned back around and worship. And so what we do as a response to God's blessing absolutely reveals the condition of our hearts and who we are. In response, as we said, Hannah decides to devote her child back to God, but what we're going to learn is that it actually goes so much deeper than just that. If our hearts are far away from God, then any blessing that happens to us will only reveal who we are. It doesn't necessarily change who we are, but it reveals what our heart actually had in it the whole time. It will not change it, but in the case of the believers, those blessings from God can actually change everything. It should change our theology of God. It should change our worldview, and it should shape our general outlook on life when God blesses us in a way that we have petitioned him for. And that's exactly what happened here to Hannah. Hannah. The breadth of her knowledge of the heart of God was expanded all the more because of what God had done in response to her prayers. But why? Because one of the things that happens as we pray, whether the Lord answers the way that we desire or not, is that we slowly start to learn what the will of God is for us. If Hannah had prayed for this child as we know she would have been praying for years and if she had never given birth then eventually she would have learned that it just wasn't the will of the Lord for her to have this child but that also meant that the Lord was able and willing to fulfill her in other greater ways so she not only learns though that God is granting her request that is her desire But she also learns that it is in his will to grant that request. That is important for us to understand. If you've ever prayed anything and God didn't answer the way that you desired, You didn't learn nothing, but you actually learned, okay, this is not what God's will is for me, but at least I know that I now have direction. I know where to look now. I know where to go now. He didn't grant that request, but that means that specific thing isn't in his will. But there may be some things that are in his will for my life, and my desire is to find out what that is. In this prayer that we're gonna see after God had granted her request, we will see the depth of Hannah's love and devotion to God after He had so graciously remembered her. And this is gonna be important. There are gonna be five things that we're gonna learn from this prayer. There are gonna be five things that we're gonna learn from this prayer. We're gonna learn what it means to boast in God, godly boastfulness. We're going to learn about being in awe of God. We're going to see how the proud are actually humbled. We're going to see that the scales of justice one day will be balanced. And finally, we're going to see that the saints will persevere. So join with me if you will. We're, going to, we're still in 1 Samuel. We're starting today in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. Chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. It says and Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The, of, the bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but, the Lord, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down the shield and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needed from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the Of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for the word, God. We thank you that even in the word, you give us such rich truth, God. And we're going to see today that there are five very important pillars um, that we are to learn from Hannah's prayer. But even in this, God, we're going to learn more than anything that what you do for us should not shape the way we view ourselves. We should not view ourselves more boastfully or more proudly with God, that we should make our boasts ultimately in you. And so God, we ask that as you um, grant our requests in life that what we know about you will will grow and that you will shape us and that our theology will be driven to know that we serve a very, very big God who is more powerful than we can even think him to be. It is in the name of Jesus we pray, Amen. amen. And so this prayer... By Hannah is often referred to if you know it as the song of Hannah as well and we can probably actually see why by looking at it it is executed with the most beautiful theological frameworks I think that's really important now there has been some discussion about where this song exactly comes from some people have even speculated that maybe Hannah didn't really say this or recite this and that it was probably added by scribes later after this happened. But if you look in the book of Psalms, this type of prose and prayer is not uncommon amongst the Jewish people. And they would have absolutely been able to render something like this. It very well may have been written by Hannah or this actually was a song of praise that was used by Israel at the time But regardless of where it comes from, Hannah evokes it in order to attempt to put into words the feelings that she had regarding God. Notice that since Hannah's prayer for a child has been granted, that she is actually not stopped praying. You know, sometimes we do it. I think we're all guilty of it, that the thing that we petition God for, that we labor on the altar to God about, once that prayer is granted, once That thing has come to fruition that the tendency is for us to just stop. After all, many of us don't know what the purpose of prayer is if we aren't petitioning God for something. So they say, "Okay, I got it. I'm done praying. But petitioning God is a reason to pray, but it isn't the reason to pray. We don't just pray to God to have our requests granted. And I actually think that's why so many of us feel unfulfilled in our relationship with God because we only go to God as a child who only communicates with their father or their mother when they need something. Save from him granting our requests, we realize that there isn't much relationship there in the first place. But we should pray in order to commune and to fellowship with God. That is why we should pray. That is why a spouse converses with their husband or their wife is not just so that they can get what they desire, but so that they can forge that relationship or they can keep that communion going, that fellowship going. We pray to thank God for who he is. We pray to thank God that what he does is a product of his nature. So let us break down her prayer here. And so our first point is, the first thing we see is godly boastfulness. We see godly boastfulness, and it's found in this line. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted. Hannah is using here Victoria's imagery to describe her state having the Lord grant her request. He heard meaning he um she is exalting him meaning that she celebrated as one who had just won a battle. Her horn is exalted like that of a ram who has just defeated a foe, another ram, and her mouth she says Derides her enemies while probably the recitation of another unknown Jewish song Hannah is communicating something here that is very significant the Lord was the cause of her victory he was the cause of her ability to give birth to a child but this had also put her enemy to shame who was her enemy Her enemy was penile. Now we may think, okay, now Hannah, that is a bit inappropriate for you to say that your mouth is deriding your enemy. That now, after receiving the blessing and benefit of God, she is now speaking down against her enemy. But what it says is that in her praise to God, her mouth had actually put her enemies to shame. So she's not actually speaking against Her enemy, but she says, My heart celebrates in the Lord. My heart, my horn is exalted in the Lord. She wouldn't now say, Okay, now let me speak against Panana after having said nothing for years. No. Her rejoicing in the Lord is actually what put Panana to shame, namely that one who had mocked her infertility. It is more likely, having seen the character of Hannah, that not only had she mocked Panana, not, not only had she not mocked Panana, but she had continued to treat her with respect. She had continued to treat her with kindness. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 9 and 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you do good as a believer, specifically when you do good to people who have spoken ill against you, when you celebrate the blessings of the Lord despite the fact that people have done you wrong, then inevitably what happens is that it derides them. Paul says that it actually heaps hot coals on their heads that you would go on treating them well despite the fact that they have done the opposite to you. So when she says that her mouth derides her opponent, then that is because good always stamps out evil in that way. The enemies are derided because she rejoices in the salvation of the Lord. She then proclaims point number two, God's all. God's all. She says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. The response of someone who has seen the very hand and the work of God would proclaim boldly these words. I have seen that there is none who is holy like the Lord. This revelation comes from the might and the power of God. And any of us who has witnessed God heal, God save, God deliver, all of us can know that in that moment we realize that there is truly none like our God. If any of us reflects on our journey, namely just our salvation, all of us can look at our former lives and think to ourselves, there is none who is holy like the Lord because only the Lord could save the person that I was and make me the person that I am. If any of us has gone through any particular journeys in our health or journeys in our finances or in our relationships and saw that there was hopelessness in those situations and know that the only reason any of those things was made well or made whole is because there is none who is holy like the Lord. Hannah herself saw the hand of God move and it shook her, but it also shaped her view of God. She communed her expanded view of God in this prayer. There is no rock like our Lord. For Hannah, though she had a husband who loved her, though she'd been granted her request by God, she established that none of those things was actually her foundation. Her foundation was not Elkanah, the husband that loved her, Her foundation was not this child that she had been granted. Her foundation was with the God who made all those things possible. Only God can make a man love his wife the way Elkanah loves her. Only God can open up the womb that he had shut up. And so what she realizes is, of all these blessings that I've received, God is the responsible party. There is no God like our God. In our lives, can we look back at the God who has provided us with our blessings and know that he is at the center of what we have? Or do we turn a proud eye and forget that we aren't the responsible parties for what happens to us? that we are not the reasons that we are financially secure, that we are not the reason that we are in a good marriage or have a good job or have a good house or have raised good kids, that we alone are not responsible for any of those things, but it is God who has made all of those things possible. When we look at our lives, our nice house, our nice car, our nice uh, bank account, our wife, our children, our husband, When we look at those things, when we look at where we are in life, we should remember, I couldn't do any of this. When I look at my salvation, I should remember there is none who is righteous. No, not one. There is none who seeks after God. We were all astray and we were all going our own way. But we learn that at the center of everything that makes us who we are, Is that there is God? If you know the Lord, then what He does and who He is should shape how you see Him. How are our beliefs about God being shaped by what He has done in our lives? Is our theological framework being formed into a right view of God? Number three. The proud will be humbled. The proud will be humbled. The first one, godly boastfulness. The second one, God's all. And the third, the proud will be humbled. Look at what she says here. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty are broken but the feeble bind on strength. You know, Isaiah speaks prophetically of the day of the Lord. We see that constantly the day of the Lord, where the proud will be brought low for all of eternity. They will one day bow at the feet of Jesus. They will one day confess that Jesus is not just God in the flesh, but that he is also Lord. But even now, the proud are humbled at the word, the word of the Father. He shuts the mouth of the wicked. And he had done that. He is doing that. And he will do that. He shut the mouth of the wicked because they were put to an open shame when they went to the tomb. And Jesus was, in fact, risen from the dead. They are being put to shame as God cares for his righteous and so graciously provides for us. Not in the prosperity way, but in the way that he gives us the endurance that we need for suffering. The peace that we need in turmoil and the grace that we need for our enemies. Just as Jesus' silence gave his enemies no valid claim, so does the humility of the believer over our foes. And this gives us hope. Because we may lose in this life, but we actually have an eternal judge who, as we see here, perfectly weighs and measures action. He judges with perfect and righteous judgment. He sees the wickedness of our adversaries and he will render for them the punishment for their works. And so while our enemies may deride us and while they may prosper in this world, there will come a day when the scales of justice will be perfectly balanced and the first will then be last. Those who were last in this life will be first into the kingdom. She then shows in the prayer how God will one day right the wrong of this world in eternity and bring us perfect peace in the new heavens and new earth. Number four, the scales of justice will be balanced. The scales of justice will be balanced. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down a shield and raises up the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needed from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Let me be clear. This theme here is not saying that God will bring on this earth and in this life perfect justice to those who have endured injustice. No, that is not the case. Honestly, that is what many people peddle about the gospel from their pulpits, but that isn't actually as great as you may think it is if you think about it. Justice on earth, while it would bring some happiness... It would only be temporary fulfillment in a sin riddled and a broken world. But what God promises us and what Hannah so carefully articulates is so much better to us than earthly justice. No, there isn't a guarantee that the barren will actually be able to bear children. But where are the barren made whole? The barren are made whole in eternity. The Lord is in control of it all. He humbles and exacts, and He brings the poor to the dust and the needed from the ash heap. How does He do this? It is what we learned from Jesus in the parable of the rich young ruler and Lazarus, and what He was trying to get us to understand. In this life, the rich man. He received good things and blessings. People knew him. He was well off. People loved him. And he lived for himself. But the poor man, Lazarus, received bad things. He was sick. So sick that as he sat begging alms, that Jesus says that the dogs will come and lick his sores. This doesn't mean that these will switch This doesn't mean that because Lazarus was poor that God is going to make him rich in this life. No, it's an allegory. It's a parable. The poor man is representative of believers who have had to endure the suffering and the trials of this world who will one day receive the inheritance of their salvation in eternity. The rich man is akin to the wicked of this world, whom Jesus says have already received their reward in this life, and they will receive the punishment for their sins. All will be properly weighted out according to the justice of God. Therein, we do hope. The blessings of God on the part of the believer do not make us arrogant. They do not make us boastful or proud in ourselves, but rather they are a reminder of the grace and mercy we have now received from God. Therefore, as he says, they will inherit a seat of honor. Not a single one of us who is a believer, Hannah included, has earned the reward of heaven. Not one of us deserves that. Not one of us deserves salvation. But by his grace, he has given us the inheritance of eternal life. How do you get an inheritance? It ain't because you work hard. It's because you were born into the right family. On our part, we actually were not born into the right family, but those of us who believe have been adopted into the right family. Therefore, in this new adoption, we have been given an inheritance, one that we did not deserve. We just happen to be in the right family. And That, e- that inheritance is eternal life. And that brings us to our final point. And the one that brings us the most hope. The saints will persevere. The saints of God will persevere. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them, he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Finally, people, his saints will persevere and prevail. If any of you subscribe, which I may be the most diligent, subscriber to the five points of Calvinism. You know, I don't live and die by them, but they are important. They do think they shape us theologically. The last one, tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. That last one, that fifth one, is our fifth point today. The perseverance of the saints. The saints of God will persevere. Through the evils and the turmoil of this world, and even in our pain and our barrenness, even in our poverty, even in our affliction, even though some of us may be martyred, we have a definite end in sight, in sickness, in loss, in grief. We are told, First Thessalonians, But we actually don't grieve as the world grieves because we have a hope. We, the believers of God, have something that even when hopelessness faces us even when russia is invading ukraine even when gas prices are on the rise even when our money may not be as stretched as it used to be we have a hope and that is not in anything that is happening now but that is in what will happen in the next life We will persevere this world. What does the Bible say? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We will overcome this world, not because of our might, not because of the might of man shall he prevail, but because Jesus has already conquered the final enemy. That means even in the sight of death, we have a definite end. And that end is that we will reside for all of eternity with Jesus Christ. He will judge the deeds of the wicked, but the faithful will be saved. And everything that we we experience in life And everything that we go through, as believers, God is shaming, is shaping what we know to be true about him. And he is shaming our adversaries. He is conforming us into his image, an image that will be perfected in eternity. Therein, as bad as it gets here, this is as bad as it gets here. We have a hope and we will persevere. God has sealed us. He has given us a guarantee of our hope in eternity, which is that he has given us his spirit. And his spirit is not just the evidence of our salvation, but it is a guarantee of our eternity. And so every prayer that is not answered in the way that we desire. And every prayer that is when we get sick and when we're well, when things are going right, and when things are going wrong. All of those things are a reminder for us that we serve a God who has saved us who has a plan for our lives that is according to his will and his sovereignty. And the good news of that is that he in us is working and willing his good pleasure for our lives. And that means that all things, all things, every single thing that happens in our life, every single thing that happens, Every pitfall, every obstacle, every loss is a lesson. And it is pushing us to Him. And He has placed it on our path according to His will. As I said in the prayer, as Charles Stanley said, anything that drives you to God is good. It is good. I have a friend, Tim Alexander, who was as much of a thug as you would know back in high school. But he was also getting offers from Auburn and Alabama to come play football. 2008, Tim was in a car accident. He suffered a in his spinal cord. He's paralyzed from the waist down. And for years, a number of years after that, Tim desperately tried to be the same person that he was. So much so that I remember saying at one point, Tim's never going to get it. Tim now is preaching the gospel everywhere. Everywhere. He works at UAB, he's gotten two master's degrees. Everything that pushes you to God. Is good. Remember that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that in the Word we are given and you are giving us hope. God, ultimately, a hope that will not be put to shame. That's what we learn in Romans. That by placing our hope in you, our faith in you, we will not be made to be fools. And so, God, we pray that as you respond to our prayers, that we will respond by enlarging our view of you. That we would know you more deeply. That we will be more intimately connected with you, God. Lord, everything that happens in our life is meant to push us to you. God, the good Is meant to humble us. The bad. is meant to humble us. Help us see that God at the center of who we are. You stand. You are our holy God. You are our rock. Lord if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you. If there's anybody watching who doesn't know you. God I don't want them to find comfort in the word. I want them to be uncomfortable. I want the word of God to cause great discomfort for them in their lives so they will see that the only thing that provides comfort in this life is knowing that there is a life that is coming next that there is an eternal hope that we have been saved too but God I pray that you will strengthen us those who know you as we look around God and we see horrific things happening in the world and concerning things, God, it is so easy for us to take our eyes off of you and look at these things. But God, fix our eyes and our hearts on you, knowing that you will not let us down. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we do pray. Amen.